just crystallizes to just, just one thing for me. Trying to improve the lives of individuals with genetic diseases through this gene therapy. That's the voice of Bobby Gaspar, founder and CEO of Orchard Therapeutics, headquartered in London with U.S. headquarters in Boston and offices in California. Listen in now to hear Bobby's thoughts about leadership and how Orchard Therapeutics is pursuing the opportunity to change medicine and change the lives of people with severe genetic diseases. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. Today I'm speaking with Bobby Gaspar, founder and CEO of Orchard Therapeutics, headquartered in London with U.S. headquarters in Boston and offices in California. Bobby, welcome to BioBoss. Thank you, John. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me uh, on, and it's a, it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you. Bobby, how did you find yourself at Orchard Therapeutics? I'm a, a physician by training, so I'm a, a trained as a pediatrician. I um, was very interested, even in my uh, medical school days, about uh, genetics, um, even kind of at a very early stage in my medical training. I did a uh, a, a science module on genetic uh, on genetic engineering. So this was back in 1986, I think it was. So even then, I kind of had a um, you know a kind of kernel of uh, of interest in in genetics and uh, and, the, and the power of genetic uh, manipulation. Uh, but really, the story really starts when I came to a specialist children's hospital in London, uh, Great Ormond Street Hospital, which looked after some very rare diseases. And when I was there, I was looking after children who had um, very severe immune deficiencies. So children who were born uh, without immune cells and who essentially would die in the first year or so of life without any treatment. And their problem arose from a single gene that was missing in their bone marrow. And it was, I can't tell you really that the, the clinical impact upon me was Extraordinary because you had children in um, uh, in cubicles who were essentially ravaged by infection, and they would either die from their infection, or they would die from the complications of the treatments that we were giving them. And only about fifty percent of the children would survive. So, the treatment at that time was trying to take their uh, was trying to take um, a, a immune cells or bone marrow from a normal donor and give it to the child. So. A, bone marrow transplant. And that had complications because you're giving these children somebody else's cells. Those cells see the children as different. They cause something called graft versus host disease, and that causes all kinds of complications. So, you know, you add these, and they were, you know, six months, nine months, a year old, ravaged by infection, being given a treatment that could cause even more complications and a high death rate. And, you know, it was just... Uh, just kind of heartbreaking to see that that kind of uh, um, uh, you know that kind of disease, and there was a I remember a ward round where we went round and the, the, the professor at the time and we passed one of these children, and the uh, the professor said this child's going to have gene therapy and this was in 1992, and I thought it was a joke that was played on all residents at the time in case they fell for this, because I just thought this is, you know, this is science fiction medicine. But it, that was the first child that was going to receive gene therapy in, um, uh, in the UK and one of the first children worldwide. And 
The idea was not to use somebody else's cells, but to use her own bone marrow cells, and now to introduce a working copy of the gene into those cells. So having got over the, that part, I just thought, this is amazing. This is extraordinary that we're this is actually going to happen. And I mean, you know, after that first, that six month job, I actually didn't have a job to go to, but I said I would stay around and work as a research fellow and they needed somebody to look after this child and to, you know, help with uh, some of the kind of ethical uh, applications and things like that. So I stayed on for six months initially to do that. And I became the child's own kind of personal physician, as it were. And I, um, and this is, I say, this is the first child that was going through gene therapy in the UK. And I, uh, when we took bone marrow from the child, I actually had the, the cells. I took them to a laboratory in, um, uh, uh, in, in the Netherlands. They bought the gene-corrected cells back to London. I picked up the scientists from the airport, came them, brought them back to the hospital, and then administered the cells myself to the child through the through So this was the first child in the UK to uh, uh, receive gene therapy. And, you know, it didn't work for that child. This was back in 1993. It didn't work for that child. But we learned a lot from doing it. And, and I was hooked at that stage. So I then went into... Uh, uh, the research lab, I did a PhD, learning about this form. This was a nascent era of uh, what is hematopoietic or blood stem cell gene therapy. And, um, and I worked with a very, very close um, colleague and friend uh, who, you know, who, when we worked together on then developing this for other conditions. And uh, we took it from the laboratory to doing the right, the relevant studies before then being able to put it into patients. And we treated our first patient in 2001. And again, it was another form of uh, this very severe immune disease, the kind of bubble babies that you've heard about where children are confined to the, their bubbles. And that child, again, incredibly unwell, on intensive care, came out of that, no bone marrow donor available. They entered the gene therapy uh, study and he was treated in July 2001 and now still comes back to clinic every year with a functional immune system having received these gene modified his gene modified cells back at that time and you know it was just such an extraordinary and you know it was rewarding on so many different aspects the kind of the scientific curiosity and um, uh, ability to take something that was scientifically so interesting but also seeing the impact on that child and the family and to see, see that you could actually correct uh, a condition using that this kind of approach and the difference that it made to the child and his family and so we then developed that approach this HSC gene therapy not just for that disease but for three other diseases and built up a you know an expertise and experience in laboratory that was doing this and doing it for multiple different diseases. There was a kind of fundamental view that this was the best way to treat these diseases. This was the safest way and it allowed us to potentially correct or cure uh, the disease. And uh, we then, in 2012, we had a new trial for an, you know, another one of these bubble baby diseases. And we were doing this in conjunction with a very close colleague at UCLA. And as this trial 
uh, evolved, the patients were being referred to us from essentially all over the world. So because, you know, it is a very rare disease, so patients come to us from all over Europe. In at UCLA, they were coming from all over the US. Uh, I had a child come in from Australia to access therapy. And the bottom line was all these children survived and virtually all of them recovered their immune systems as a result of the one-off administration of the gene-modified cells. And at that point, I mean, I suppose we felt normally what you do is you do one trial and it kind of works and then you do another trial and you kind of work. Here was a trial that was working and it was making such an impact that we felt that we had to now make this available as a medicine uh, for patients wherever they might be. And it had to move from, you know, one centre in London, one centre in UCLA to being made much more, uh, you know, much more extensively. And that's when I think we felt, well, this now has to go to a commercial entity that brings into place all the manufacturing infrastructure, the clinical infrastructure, the regulatory infrastructure to make this into a medicine, a new genetic uh, medicine. And at the same time, the kind of commercial investment world were also starting to think about gene therapy as well. And so we had investors who wanted to do something like that, not just for one disease, but a whole series of diseases that were uh, that were using the same uh, approach. And that's when the idea of, uh, of Orchard came into being. And that's through the investment, through, these, um, through the licensing of the work that we had been doing, we then created uh, Orchard as a company. And um, I kept my uh, academic clinical role for quite some time, as well as being CSO at Orchard. Uh, but then <laughs> it got quite uh, busy uh, after a while and started trying to do all of those things. And so that's why at that stage, we, uh, then I stepped over as CSO and then uh, became um, a CEO uh, uh, of Orchard. And so, so it was never a, an intention to be CEO of a company. Uh, it was always the intention to, um, uh, to bring what I feel is the best way to, to treat these diseases through this genetic therapy to patients worldwide. And Orchard, and me being CEO of Orchard, is part of that, is part of that journey. Did you go through any tug between wanting to remain a, pr a practitioner, a professor, and also realizing that if you didn't do this thing to create this company, to launch, to investigate this and launch this, that it might not happen? Uh, you've described it very well, actually. That was exactly that was exactly what I went through. I mean, I can tell you that um, I don't know, uh, you know, whatever I do, nothing will be as rewarding as what I as what we did with the um, the patients that we treated. I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, you know, we were, you know, I would see the families when they first came in, counsel them about their disease, talk about, you know, what options were available, say that here was an alternative that we could use. It hadn't been trialed. It, you know, it, you know, it was in the process of being trialed. We couldn't give them guarantees, but we felt that this could offer a safer outcome, etc. And then when you see the patients come back after treatment and they've recovered their immune systems, and you can actually say to the families, you know, and to say to the parents, uh, we think your child's fixed now. You know, and you don't have to worry anymore. I mean, that's the most rewarding thing as a physician that you can do. So to leave that was very, very difficult for me, I have to say. But in the end, there was a limitation as to what we could do clinically and academically. It would mean that we were 
constantly only being able to do you know a limited amount and here was this opportunity to take this and use it for patients on a on a global basis and do it not just for one disease but a whole series of other diseases as well and so you know and although i still miss that um, that kind of personal contact I, and i really really do miss that and um, I do feel to myself, when we're successful at what we do, that we're going to make a bigger difference. Is it the case that you're, at the same time that you're the CEO and, and moving Orchard forward, that you retain your contacts with your academic connections and, and, and physicians around the world? You're focused on your own work, but you're no doubt still very closely involved with, with practitioners, right? I was very lucky uh, as, a, you know, as a physician and a scientist to be working with some of the leading, you know, academics in this field. I mean, it's, you know, it was such a small field that we were all connected. We would see each other at multiple meetings during the, you know, during the year. And we would exchange ideas. We would collaborate. We wrote, wrote scientific papers uh, together. So that was a very, very uh, close network. And, you know, and, you know, and there are, uh, you know, they, they, we were all working in slightly different but connected areas. And, of course, I was championing this, uh, gene therapy approach, and so to a certain extent, I am, you know, you know, I am very connected with them still. So a number of my uh, uh, of those colleagues are on the scientific advisory board uh, of Orchard. Uh, we are conducting trials with the uh, with the uh, with our collaborators from the uh, from the start, and uh, you know, some of their programs were licensed into Orchard as well. So it is still a very connected community. And that makes me think of a, a conversation that's come up a couple of times when I've talked to founders and CEOs. I've heard several people describe what a CEO is as, they say things like, you know, really, it's, I'm a chief education officer, which I think is an interesting idea. I know executive means you make decisions, but uh, in particular, I would think in, in gene therapy that a good deal of your work over and above the scientific work has to be to help people understand that you know what the need is and, and how it could be filled is is education a large part of how you spend your time yes i mean i think education in many different uh, uh ways and uh i've always loved teaching actually i mean you know i always loved teaching uh as a, a clinician as a you know as an academic you know kind of giving lectures uh etc workshops and so um I, I love it, and I and I do think there is a, a need because I think if you, you know, in the role that I have within uh, within Orchard, everyone needs to be connected to what we're trying to do. You know, everyone needs to be connected with what we're trying to do, what kind of difference that we are making uh, to patients, and that difference is being made through through a science, a technology, and the more everyone the our staff, the, the uh, everyone at Orchard understands what that is, the potential of hematopoietic stem cells, the way we introduce genes into those cells, why giving these cells once could potentially correct an individual for their lifetime, how that is different from the way other gene therapies are done, for example. The more they're connected with that, the more they feel, I hope, you know, motivated by what we're trying to do, understand what we're trying to do, talk about what we're trying to do uh, to, uh, to others. So uh, that education of, um, I try and get across uh, as much as possible, they'll probably stick to death of me talking about hematopoietic stem cells and everything else, but you know, to, <laughs> but to a certain extent, I, I do feel that 
as I say, uh, we're a small company, and you in a small company, you want everyone to be connected as much as possible uh, to what the company is doing. And um, knowing as much as you can, understanding as much as you can helps connect people to what we're trying to do. When you describe what you're doing to people, you know, how do you pull together all those strands? Because they're obviously all connected, professor, physician, leader. It's, it's, it's about one thing, John. I mean, it, it just crystallizes to, to just one thing for me, and that is trying to improve the lives of individuals with genetic, with genetic diseases through this gene therapy. And that's what I've, I think you know, my whole professional career has come down to, you know, right from the very start when I, I say back when I uh, saw that child at, uh, at Great Ormond Street, and thinking about how we can best do this, thinking this is, you know, it's, it's, it's trying to make that science fiction that I thought at the time into, into a reality, not just for that disease, but a whole series of diseases. So it has been a kind of, you know, a pretty singular path to, to try and um, uh, achieve that. And on the way, I have had the most extraordinary uh, opportunities of, you know, interacting with some incredibly bright, smart people, um, you know, the, just, the, just the reward of being able to, uh, you know, uh, talk and, um, and, and be with families at some of the most important uh, and be involved in some of the most important decisions they'll ever make about the life of their child. And, you know, being able to travel and communicate what I believe in so passionately to uh, many other people and to hopefully, you know, tell them that you know, there is a way now of treating these diseases. There is a technology, there is a science that is evolving that maybe has the potential to treat many other diseases as well. So, you know, I think to um, have been involved in this for such a long period of time, um, you know, it's just given me, you know, opportunities that I never thought I would have. Bobby, can you remember way back when you were eight or nine or 10 or something like that, what you wanted to be i think for most of us we were trying to be something we thought our parents wanted us to be so i come from uh from my, so my father was a doctor and my mother was a doctor uh my father's psychiatrist actually my mother was a was a gp and um i was one of, i was the oldest of five so there were five of us and uh <laughs> and, my, and my mother once sat us all down and she said i don't care what you do as long as one of you is a doctor Four of the five, four out of the five of us became doctors. And I remember when I was uh, a kind of, uh, even kind of, and we were just surrounded by doctors, you know, their friends were doctors and everything. So I, I almost, it was like, you know, there was nothing, you know, there was no other career. I remember being, you know, when you're six or seven, I, I, I do remember this, it's at the age of seven, being asked, you know, we were all at school and being asked, you know, what, does, what do you want to do when you grow up? And of course, that's what I wrote. I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to save children. That was what I wrote when I was seven years of age. So, um, you know, uh, so it never really kind of, and although I kind of, I remember <laughs> wavering at some point uh, and, and being called to the headmaster's office when you had a, your, your chat about what you want to do. And uh, he said, uh, he said to me, uh, he said, Gaspar, he said, uh, you're very good at Latin and Greek, and I think naturally uh, a career in classics and law would be the right thing for you. But I know you're going to do medicine, so there's no point in me saying anything. <laughs> it says there's no point in me talking to you anyway. 
What do you say when people say who is, as opposed to what is, who is Orchard Therapeutics? Orchard Therapeutics is a, it's a family of people who are trying to do the same thing, you know, and that's what I want people to feel about Orchard. You know, it is a, a company, a group of people who are connected to achieving the same thing. And I think it is, that's what I've talked about before, it is about bringing these genetic therapies to, uh, to patients. And uh, I just want to kind of instill that into everyone who, who comes to work for us at Orchard. What's new at Orchard Therapeutics? I think the, the thing that, that defines us really in, in, in respect to that question is that we're one of the first companies that are bringing these genetic therapies to, uh, to the world. And so I feel it's we're, you know, we're right at the forefront of making, of making this happen. And we're at the forefront of making this happen for a whole series of, uh, of diseases. And, you know, I feel very much, you know, that's part and parcel almost of what I've been doing the whole way along. You know, we were developing this in the, uh, in the lab for the first time. We were putting it into patients for the first time. We were seeing the results uh, the first time, you know, go, going through the ethical um, questions uh, for the first time, doing the manufacturing in the academic setting. Uh, that was a kind of, you know, a, a first as well. So I think Orchard is there, you know, in, a, in the same position, we're going to be uh, getting these approved for the first time. These will be some of the very first um, blood stem cell or hematopoietic stem cell gene therapies that will be approved. They will be the first that will be commercialized. They will be the first that will be uh, reimbursed. So we're at that forefront of, of making this happen. So, you know, what's new? <laughs> Almost everything is new, you know, <laughs> because nobody's done this before. Nobody's really done this before. So uh, it's, um, it's challenging, it's invigorating, it is stimulating, it's difficult, but you know, that's, that's where we're at, is, is as I say, getting these as approved genetic medicines and making them available worldwide. That, that's, that's, that's new, all of that is new. Many of the founders and CEOs I speak with when they they tell me that and i've observed when they present to people about what the company is doing and what your vision for the company is a, a certain percentage will come back and and there will be a meeting of the minds and they'll talk about going forward a certain percentage will come back and say i'm just not interested and, and then a third group will come back and say oh well, now that i understand it's x let's talk about that and you will be thinking to yourself but i that's not what i said i said why it's not x so when people do misperceive the story what do they get wrong and then how will you help them to figure it out that's really interesting i think maybe what so i think there's two things there's one there's two things one is the um the perception that all gene therapy is the same you know, and you know I, you know, there's, there's gene therapy using, you know, there are two main areas, well, there's many areas, but, you know, one area is, for example, um, an in vivo AAV gene therapy. So there's a, there's a lot of interest in that. There's a lot of programs and a lot of uh, companies. And sometimes all gene therapy could be seen as AAV gene therapy. But in fact, what we have is something very, very different. We're using, uh, and I like to call it, talk of it as HSC gene therapy or hematopoietic stem cell gene therapy, where we're essentially taking the cells out, 
we're modifying them, and we use a lentivar vector to modify the gene-corrected cells, and we're returning those cells back to the, uh, to the patient. So there are a number of different aspects to that. One is that we're taking the cells out, so it's ex vivo, that's when we're manipulating cells, when we're manipulating them outside the body. We're using a lentivar vector to carry the genes into the, into the cells, and then we're returning cells. So that's very, very different to AAV gene therapy. And so I think one important thing that I try and get across is gene therapy comes in many different forms, and you could almost think of it as a toolbox, as it were, with multiple different tools. And when you're trying to, to correct a disease or do a job, <laughs> you'll use the right tool. And so you use the AAV for certain jobs, for certain diseases, and HSC gene therapy is better suited for other diseases. And you pick the right tool for the, for the right disease. And so that's, um, and I would like that concept really to get across that HSC gene therapy is best suited for certain diseases, and these are the advantages. People, the other thing I think with the orchard is people think, oh, well, um, it will treat this disease and it can treat this disease and this disease. But they don't fully get, and, and, and this is something, again, I'm trying to impress more, that it is an approach or a platform that could be used in many different areas. And once you understand or you get the concept of the platform, the, the concept of using hematopoietic stem cells or gene-modified hematopoietic stem cells, then you see that the potential is that is is enormous really you've got so many different diseases so rather than think of orchard as a, a collection of this disease this disease and this disease i would like people to think of orchard as a, uh, a company that's using hsc gene therapy for you know uh, and the potential is enormous to treat a whole series of different diseases you just talked with me about the idea of a toolkit and how uh different approaches can work for different needs. For the HPSC platform, can you describe how it is that that is a useful approach? These cells, the cells that we're using, they're the kind of early cells of of the bone marrow. And they're the cells that will give rise to all the cells in your bloodstream. So they give rise to your immune cells, they give rise to your red blood cells, they give rise to cells called platelets that make your, uh, your blood clot. They also give rise to some specialist cells that can actually migrate into your brain. So they can actually cross the blood-brain barrier into your brain. So the way I explain it is that if you take these blood stem cells and introduce a gene into these blood stem cells, you've got a route to deliver a gene to all of these different cell types. So it means you can correct immune cells and so correct immune disorders. It means you can correct red blood cells and so correct red blood cell disorders like thalassemia. And it means you can correct these specialist cells that get into the brain, naturally get into the brain, and therefore gives you the, op- uh, the opportunity to correct certain neurodegenerative conditions. And we've been able to do that within, uh, uh, within our programs at Orchard. And the other really important aspect is that these blood stem cells, they have the ability to self-renew. They renew themselves as well as giving rise to these cells in the, in the bloodstream. And the way we introduce a gene into these blood stem cells 
means that the, uh, the vector that we use integrates the gene into the, into the blood stem cell. So every time that blood stem cell divides, whether it's re renewing or whether it's becoming a cell in the bloodstream, that genetic information is being passed on. With every cell division, the genetic information is being passed on. And that's why when you give these gene-modified cells back to the patient, they are renewing, they're passing on their genetic information, and that's why a single administration can have such a long-lasting effect. And so we've seen now that, you know, from the patients that we treated and some of the programs in Orchard, the first patients we treated were treated over 20 years ago. And as a result, that once-off administration of the gene-modified cells and the self-renewal, the passing off the, on, of the genetic information, they've been corrected for that period of time. So this is why we think it's potentially a curative approach. We have seen that when we give gene-modified stem cells, hematopoietic stem cells, back to patients, we don't see any diminution of the effect. So they continue, they're self-renewing, they're giving rise to gene-corrected cells in the bloodstream. And so, and that doesn't go away. We see the level of correction being sustained for many, many years. And in the world of bone marrow transplantation, where, for example, you're giving somebody else's blood stem cells, that effect has been seen for 50 years now. That's when the first bone marrow transplants were conducted, were 50 years ago. So that experience tells you that if you give um, normal hematopoietic stem cells to an individual, and in our case, it's gene-corrected hematopoietic stem cells, you could have that duration of effect. And so that's why it is potentially curative therapy. I would think that there are people who would hear that and say, well, that must, that sounds magical, sounds wonderful. I hope you achieve it, Bobby. I wonder if that's just for a narrow, narrow set of genetic subpopulations. But it seems to me, based on what you've told me, that the platform could conceivably address not just rare or ultra rare diseases, but other diseases. Do I, do I understand that? So, I, you know, I've worked with rare diseases kind of all my professional life. And, you know, and they can teach you a lot. And, you know, the fact that in these ultra rare diseases that we're currently working in, there's a single gene that is missing. You know that if you replace that gene or have the ability to replace that gene, you could correct that disease. So it's very tractable from that perspective. And we've learned a huge amount in using this HSC gene therapy for these uh, these rare conditions. The first thing to say is there's many, many of these ultra-rare conditions that could benefit from HSC gene therapy, and we already have quite an extensive portfolio of but we could add to that portfolio with a whole series of other um, uh, ultra-rare conditions, so it could benefit many other diseases as well. But the learnings and the kind of the understanding of the mechanism, and I'll give you one example uh, of this, is a, uh, a very rare neurodegenerative condition called metachromatic leukodystrophy, so MLD for short. So there's a, a single gene that is missing. The, the la lack of that gene means that the, it doesn't make an enzyme, and that the lack of the enzyme means that it builds up certain toxic substances that predominantly affect the brain, so they affect neurons. And so what happens is the, uh, these unfortunate children are born normally, they develop, and then after the first year of life or so, they start to lose their function. So when, when they were sitting, they stop sitting. When they're walking independently, they can't walk anymore. They lose the ability to communicate, to talk, 
to interact with their, with their families. And, and that's because their neurons, their brain cells are degenerating because they've built up this, um, these substrates. And it's a really, you know, it's a devastating condition you know, in the most severe form. Nearly all the children uh, will, uh, will die by 10 years of age. So that's how, uh, how difficult it is. What we have at Orchard is a therapy, or we have been developing a therapy for, uh, for MLD. And what we're seeing is that if you take the child's hematopoietic stem cells, introduce a working copy of that gene into those cells, you're actually overexpressing that, that enzyme through this, and you give it back to the children intravenously, that a, a population of cells are, of those hematopoietic stem cells are able to cross into the brain they're able to engraft in the brain, they secrete the enzyme in the brain, it's taken up by neurons, and now it prevents those neurons from degenerating. So they, then, you know, they, it, and it, what it does is it allows, and we've been able to show this, that it preserves their cognitive function. These children now, uh, some of them are learning in the same way as, um, as children of their own age. They're able to play with their friends. They're preserving motor function. And it's just a remarkable difference between untreated children and children who have now received this therapy. And so that as you know, it's a huge understanding that you get from, as well as the clinical impact, understanding the biology of what's happening there. And the fact that these HSCs are able to cross into the brain and secrete the gene in the, in the brain. And we have some other earlier stage programs of this nature, again, ultra rare, that we are taking forward at Orchard. But it also tells you that you can express other genes in the brain. And so can you now do this for other, much larger conditions as well? And so you now have the potential of introducing a gene into HSEs, giving it back to patients, allowing it now to migrate into the CNS and then targeting specific genes, proteins, and therefore preventing neurodegeneration in much larger indications. And so we're now working with a brilliant um, scientist who I've known for a very long time uh, in Italy in trying to address some much more common disorders of neurodegeneration. And the first one is going to be a certain subset of frontotemporal dementia, which after Alzheimer's is the most common form of, uh, of dementia. But it's that understanding in rare diseases, in ultra-rare disease, understanding the biology of this HSC gene therapy that now allows us to move forward to try and address more common conditions. And you know that's just one example, but there are other parallels in other areas as well that we're looking at. We are at a late stage in development of MLD, and we're, uh, that has been filed with the European... Um, with the European Medicines Agency, and we are, uh, you know, we filed in November last year. We've been working through the, you know, as per their procedure, working through the questions they sent back to us. So hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, we will get a potential approval in the fall uh, this year, which will be a very, very exciting moment uh, for us as a company, and more, most importantly, we'll be able to bring this, uh, this medicine to patients who at the moment don't have any, uh, anything available uh, for, for what is a very devastating condition. So that will be a very exciting moment, uh, I, I think. And, uh, and we also have late stage programs in 
in another condition called Viscolori syndrome, which is a, an immune deficiency and also causes platelet problems as well. And again, we're working through our dialogues with the, with the agencies and hopefully we'll be able to file that uh, next year in the US and, uh, and in Europe. We have, you know, as a company, some very exciting times ahead of actually taking what has been done over many, many years to being approved and then uh, being commercialized, while at the same time building a pipeline using this HSC chain for, for other rare diseases, but also in the longer term for larger indications as well. You must, your life must be filled with a lot of precision around the details of getting to the next step of all the things that you're working on. But I'm wondering if at this point in your career and your life, do you still find yourself on a weekend, a time when you're with your family, some time away from the immediate need when you're thinking, well, if this works the way I hope it will, I could really help some people. You have to have a, uh, a bigger viewpoint, obviously, but also it only gets done by the detail. You have to make sure the detail is right, as you said. And whether it's on the scientific level, whether it's on manufacturing, whether it's on all kinds of different areas, you have to get the detail right in order to, to progress forward. But at the same time, you know, the the bigger view is that you want to change the way these diseases are treated. You, you want to change the landscape for, and I, and I do think, I do think that, I do think that if we can, that we can go in the direction that we're, we're heading, we will, we will change what these diseases uh, are, are like. They, you know, they will, um, because it's not just about treatment. It's, I mean, we're also working on diagnosis and early diagnosis as well. And so you can get to a stage where you can identify these patients extremely early, even after birth uh, as through newborn screening. You can prevent them from getting the disease and you can give them a therapy that means that they'll never get the disease. So you've completely almost eliminated the disease for that individual. And that, is an, you know, and that will happen. That will happen through these, uh, through these advances. And I just think that's an extraordinary... Um, opportunity that you know I as a physician uh, you know uh, have a, an opportunity to be part of you, you, you're changing the landscape of a, of, a, of a disease Bobby thanks for speaking with me today John thank you very much it's been a real pleasure to be able to talk to you and I really welcome the opportunity every now and then we meet someone whose life has followed a singular path a straight line from first falling in love with an idea to realizing a vision through a lifetime of work. Bobby Gaspar told me for him, it all comes down to one thing, trying to improve the lives of people with genetic diseases through gene therapy. As I spoke with Bobby, I could hear the passion in his voice as he talked about his first experience as a young physician in London, caring for children who had a very severe immune deficiency. Children born without immune cells who would die in the first year or so of life without any treatment. At that moment, Bobby spoke of envisioning a future when you see patients come back after treatment and they recover their immune systems and you can actually say to the child's parents, we think your child's fixed now. You don't have to worry anymore. When Bobby said to me, that's the most rewarding thing as a physician that you can do, it was clear to me this was a man with a calling. And now as CEO at Orchard Therapeutics, Bobby continues his lifelong pursuit. As he says, it's not just about treatment, it's also working on early diagnosis to get to a stage where it's possible to identify patients extremely early, even after birth through newborn screening, and prevent them from getting the disease by giving them a therapy. 
That means they'd never get the disease. To me, this sounds like it would be a dream come true. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. <laughs>